Welcome to another episode of What's at Stake. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis, and today we're talking about one of the latest developments to hit the business sector and society, artificial intelligence. Uh, Most listeners probably are familiar and have read a lot about AI, maybe even experimented with ChatGPT or BARD, and are learning more and more like us about the ways the technology is likely to impact society or hopefully no one's been out there being fooled by, by deep fakes or any other bad issues on the AI side. But what I want to do with our episode today is focus on, on something a bit different, AI and brand, specifically how different companies and organizations either are or should be thinking about the ways that AI might impact their reputation and their brand. For this conversation, I'm joined by several of my colleagues at Penta, Andrea Christensen, a strategy partner here, a frequent guest of the podcast who's been doing a a lot of work on our side on AI, along with Oliver Edelman and Blake McGill, authors of Penta's new white paper on preparing companies for brand risks related to generative AI. Andrea, Oliver, and Blake, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Hey, Brian. Hi. Um, let's jump right into kind of why we wrote this paper and and forgive me in advance for maybe the long-winded question, but Penta has spent a lot of time actually on AI and it started a few months ago with probably some giddy curiosity where we were sitting in, in my office and other offices experimenting with some of these tools like I think most Americans were for the first time. That very quickly moved into what does this mean for our jobs and public affairs and PR and how are different firms going to use it into some of the bigger issues that all of our clients are wrestling with in terms of what will this adoption look like for different industries? What are the opportunities? What are the risks? So let's start there. What are some of the challenges businesses have already faced because of this kind of fast adoption of AI? Yes. I think that a lot of businesses went through the exact same process that you went through, Brian. They started out being like, oh, we have this new technology. There's the potential for us to be using it in our everyday lives. And then they said, wait a second, what does that actually mean? And what does it look like in practice? I think still, and the reason why Oliver wanted and I wanted to draft this piece is because companies are still thinking about how this is going to affect their bottom line, their everyday practices. There's a lot of conversation about robot recruiting and how this is going to impact HR. Um, employees are obviously asking the question, will this impact my job? Will I lose my job as a consequence of this? But very few companies are thinking about the kinds of risks that just this AI existing out in the world already poses. Um to their company and to their brand and their reputation. Yeah. And I think the premise of the piece really is that regardless of what industry you're working in, regardless of how, to what extent you've played around with, with the various kind of new tools that we have in the generative AI space, um, the brand risks are here and it's kind of time to start preparing right now. Uh, I think the worst case scenario is if, you know, and we lay some of these scenarios out, but if, if for example, uh, you know, a video comes out of your CEO saying something insensitive. Uh, and then the first conversation you have is like, is this a deep fake? And, and you're, you're talking to folks at your firm and they're like, what is a deep fake? What is AI? I think that is the absolute right. worst case scenario. And so the time to start educating yourself is now. Uh, we lay out some specific steps that I know we're, we're going to kind of get into. Um, but, you know, I think something that's interesting in the space is, is, with some of these technological developments in the past, what you've seen is, you know, the technology develops, 
then there's some consensus in industry that develops around how maybe what the ethics are, how government might, re- might respond. And then you have government kind of step in and then the, and then it, there's kind of a, a, if not a consensus, then at least a widespread appreciation of the core values that, and, and the things that the ways that the company should be responding in this case, the folks that are developing the tools like by their own admission, don't understand all the implications. Uh, the civil society kind of ethical consensus is not yet here. Um, we can't wait around for government to kind of come up with these policies. And it's all kind of happening simultaneously, and the brand risks are already here. Yeah, and I mean, companies aren't waiting at all. I mean, right. it, and, and you're seeing a huge differentiation on on how companies are either embracing or banning um, some of these tools. I mean, I think I, I read today that there was a Japanese financial firm that is rolling it out across the company and is just saying to its employees, you've got to use this. It has limitless potential was the quote that I saw. And but then you have some of banks in the U.S. saying to their employees, don't use it at all. And so the reality is we all started essentially the AI arms race on the same day. But the sooner companies start, the sooner they're going to see benefits, but also the sooner we're going to see some of these unintended consequences coming through as well. Yeah. And let's spend a minute talking there because I I don't think there's a choice between like use it or avoid it. Like it's here. It's either going to come at your company if your company doesn't adopt it itself. But Oliver, you you did start your paper with kind of three different scenarios that I think were interesting to ground this debate. We're not talking about, you know, massive layoffs. We're not talking about robots taking over the world. Like these are real life situations that could happen next week for mm-hmm. a company. Why don't you walk us through a few of those? Sure. So so to lay it out, I think the premise of the scenarios is essentially just to prove that, again, regardless of your industry, this is something that you should be worried about. So the first scenario that we lay out is is kind of going back to this CEO deepfake video situation. And this could happen, you know, to essentially any organization, any organization where a leader is someone that's well-known, um, where, you know, you could, you could ask one of these generative AI programs to create a video. And I think we're at the point where some of these are indistinguishable from, from, from. And by the way, this has happened. We've seen yep. this in political races. We've seen it move around on yeah, social gonna media. Yeah, but they're going to be much, much gonna, better yeah, very soon. This is I just mean, the, the, the Nancy Pelosi one, for instance, was very clear that it had been a doctored video. Right. I mean, the, the quality is light years ahead of what that was. Right. And, and the other the other piece on that is that, you know, where doctoring videos at one point previously was something that you had to have some degree of skill and technical prowess to, to kind of put together. We're going to reach the point pretty soon here where that the only limit on your ability to put something like that together is your own creativity in your head and, and that the tools will essentially help you get from that idea into a into a, a viable product extremely quickly. And so that's that's where that um, that's where that kind of risk emerges. The second piece that we lay out is uh, a professional services firm. So imagine that you are in charge of the brand of a professional services firm and a, a team on your firm submits a submits a report to a major client and they come back and determine that part of the report was written by ChatGPT. The situation is complicated because maybe you have not been in those conversations internally around what the best practices are around uh, using AI. Maybe the folks that are in charge of brand at your firm haven't been coordinating with HR around the way that those processes and procedures have, have been put in place. And maybe they just haven't been communicated well enough to both the folks in your in your organization and your clients in terms of the way that it's acceptable to use those tools. But the end result is unfortunately that 
you know, in the eyes of your client, at least your, your reputation has taken a major hit. The third scenario is, is one that actually kind of the genesis of it is something is a situation that I was in kind of recently. I was at a talk at a think tank recently and coming down from an elevator, there were some folks in the elevator that were talking and there was somebody that was telling a story around visiting one of these tech companies. And they were talking about how one of these AGI tools that they have de- they had developed might at one point take the place of 12,000 uh, software engineers. And her question to the folks in the elevator, the person next to her was essentially like, well, how do those 12,000 people feel about that? And, <laughs> um, and I think it goes back to these broader conversations that we've been having around, you know, managing stakeholders, managing their expectations and communicating or understanding that the way you communicate to one group of stakeholders, in this case, you know, if investors are interested in the way that you're using AI to cut costs, how that affects the perceptions of, of other stakeholders as well, in this case, employees. I think that's a good point and kind of goes back to your uh, example, Andrea. I think you said it was a Japanese company, mm-hmm. but there's there's a big pressure on management of how do we adopt these tools when our employees might be scared these tools could replace part of our work or some of our work. And I don't know much about that company, but I'm, that sounds like a bad decision to kind of force everyone to use it deeply, but, but yeah, tell us more. Well, what, what I'd say about that is, I mean, if you're kind of following this on Twitter, the, the refrain that almost everyone uses is AI is not going to replace you. A person who uses AI is going to replace you. And so I, like, I think that just hits home. It's, it's like, if you don't know how to use the internet, you probably aren't going to study or get the same, um, you know, results in a college class, right. you know? So, so to me, this is, it, it, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but the reality is, is right now today, it is a tool. And if you don't know how to use it, another person is going to learn. Yeah. And not very long ago, email was a new tool and <laughs> exactly. the internet was a new tool. And at last I checked our, our unemployment numbers seem to be doing pretty well. So Good. Well, Andrea, let me pivot a little bit. What what does so as you guys start to think about as we all think about kind of advising clients on this and how clients need to think about not only the scenarios Oliver and Blake laid out, but what does every client and I would imagine every industry kind of need to be thinking about in terms of AI right now? Well, I think the first thing is to think about what your internal policy is and how that impacts your internal stakeholders and your external stakeholders. I think Oliver and Blake in the paper pointed it out really well. Like you've got to have a communicator in the room when you're having some of these conversations because that is the person that is going to understand how your audiences are going to respond to it and what you need to, you know, think about how you need to communicate it, what you need to watch out for. So I think that is really important. And the reality is, is that this is changing constantly. These policies are going to have to be flexible, but you can't ignore it. You have to engage with it. And if your choice is to not use it at all for reasons being X, Y, Z, and there's a logic behind it, then that's perfectly fine, right? I mean, you know why you're doing it, but you also have to know that you need to be flexible. I think that there's still a lot of concerns about what people have access to using uh, ChatGPT and OpenAI, you know, who owns all of this stuff? Like, do you own it? Is it private? Um, You know, copyright issues. There's a lot of concerns related to that. And we're not at a point where there's kind of corporate subscriptions or things like that, where they would meet the standards that other tools need to meet to be used at a corporate setting. Yeah. I think to the point about having communicators in the room, you know, 
likely some of those conversations are going to be uncomfortable. Likely in some situations, you're going to have to have uh, communicators that are pushing folks in product to understand how, you know, how the product works is the underlying data set. What are the biases and so forth to game this stuff out? And those conversations are going to be tough, but I think they're going to be necessary. Yeah. And I think we were moving in that direction anyways of kind of removing the silos between communications and the rest of the organization. Um, that We were moving in that direction regardless, but I think AI is in this AGI. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of what we preach here, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're making a, a major policy decision, if you're making a major investment decision, if you're a consumer brand making a major endorsement decision, you need a communicator in that room, someone who understands how different stakeholders will react or if this becomes a reputational issue, how we're like prepared and we're going to respond to it. Exactly. Um, let's take a quick break there and then I want to come back and, and we've kind of set the scene here well, but really dive into what you guys did in the paper and talk more there. So we'll be right back on what's at stake. Penta is the world's first comprehensive stakeholder solutions firm. We are a one-stop shop for the intelligence and strategy leaders need to assess a company's reputation and make decisions that improve their positioning. As executives in the C-suite must account for a growing set of engaged stakeholders, all with distinct, fast-changing demands, Penta provides real-time intelligence and strategy solutions. We work with clients solving complex global challenges across a variety of industries. Our clients span technology, financial services, energy, healthcare, and more. To learn more about how Penta can support your company, check out our website at pentagroup.co, our Twitter at pentagrp, or find us on LinkedIn at pentagroup. Welcome back to What's at Stake. I'm here with my colleagues Oliver, Andrea, and Blake talking about AI and a new framework that Penta will be releasing shortly on how Companies should really think about the the brand risks and and maybe I should also say opportunities, but you know some of the kind of issues and management functions you should put around some of these technologies. Similar to advice we give on a lot of other kind of high stake issues. But Oliver Blake, you you wrote this paper, kind of walking through how businesses should be not so much responding, but really planning yep. around these. Um, Issues. So why don't you walk us through kind of the different steps you laid out and we'll jump in with some questions along the way. Sure. So, uh, you know, to, to set it up a little bit, I think this is just a start. I, there's so much out there in terms of uh, the developments that are going on, the technology, the questions around ethics. There was like a guy that said we should be bombing the data centers or something. There's all these weird developments every week, right? And, and what we've tried to do with this is just to, to set up an initial framework. How do you start thinking about it from a brand reputation standpoint? And, you know, you, you will not ever be able to uh, envision every single scenario that might happen. Um, but this is a way to get you maybe 90% of the way there. Um, so, so the first point is uh, is to convene. To, to Andrea's point earlier, to have a communicator in all of your conversations around the way that your organization is using um, uh, using generative AI, you know, be it internally, be it in your product, um, be it, you know, uh, your employees inputting their email addresses to use it for work, essentially just making sure that somebody that's in charge of brand protection is a piece of all of those conversations. And leading from that is is the second stage, which is what we call the audit, which is, you know, as a as somebody that's in charge of protecting your company's brand, develop an understanding of the way that AI is used all across your organization. 
And, um, you know, again, to some of the questions we were talking about earlier, it might, there might be some tough conversations there. Some product folks might be like, why are you here? Like, who are you? Um, sure. But I think, but I think that that's, that's again, to, to what we talked about earlier, a little bit of, we were moving in that direction anyways. And having that comprehensive understanding is going to be super critical to developing um, the third stage, which is the triage and the d- developing the, uh, the specific pieces of reputational risk that may come out. Before we get into triage, let's let's talk through the audit a little bit. Yep. So that that is the communicator is the important role to be in there. But they who do they need to be in touch with? To me, that's that's the legal team, that's the HR team. It's it's how we're using some of these tools internally. What what is that room look like? Yeah. So as Oliver was saying, the way that we crafted this piece, it's a skeleton. You're supposed to be going through it and really thinking about how does your culture, how do your different brand communicators, how do your different stakeholders play into the skeleton that we've already outlined. It's a series of principles and it's a way of thinking about it. It's a framework, a stake a stakeholder forward framework on the way that you should be handling these issues. First of all, you should just be level setting and think, how do we handle these kind of issues all of the time? Whether it's setting a dress code or figuring out how you're going to be dealing with a return to work apparatus. The reason why AI is intimidating and complicated is because it's not necessarily something that you have entirely internal control over. If your clients are using it, if a new product is developed in the outside world and your employees choose to, as you said, log on with their work email, there are a bunch of elements of this that are externally facing. And that's why we think the most important thing that you can be doing is ensuring that the kind of people who not only understand the stakeholders, but who communicate to the stakeholders are in the room and in these kind of conversations. And again, having a stakeholder forward ethos is one of the most important things you can do in these situations. It's a really good point. Andrea, you mentioned earlier, there's no corporate subscription AI. So a lot like we see it ourselves, right? A lot of us are just experimenting on our own. Bring it on. You get into one of these rooms in a corporation, you need to make sure you've got a good read on that and and the people understand it. All right. So we get through convening and auditing. Now, hopefully it doesn't happen, but when do we have to triage? Yeah, I mean the triaging is the uh, the fun slash scary part of it. Um, so I, I think there's a few different ways to think about it. Certainly, if you're in a technology company, uh, you might think that this is a lot more relevant. But I would actually argue that regardless of what organization you're in, it's super relevant. So yes, you know if if your um, organization uses generative AI in its products, if it has a chatbot, for example, then there are additional kind of questions to run through. You know, just a few of those that we list out in the piece are, you know, the underlying data set. Certainly there are issues of bias in data. Um, there was, you know, there's a tech analyst that that Andrea, Andrea and I like to follow, Ben Evans, who was talking recently about he was playing with MidJourney. And he had input something along the lines of like pictures of people skiing and having fun. And something that he noticed was that every one of these pictures, and he'd run it again and again, they were all pictures of white men. Mm. Right. Over and over again. And and the AI is not doing this on purpose. Right. But it's simply the, the training data that it's trained on is reflects certain biases. And, you know, you might say that this is a relatively harmless example, whatever, but you could extrapolate that out to, to examples that are harmless. You know, if an AI is making decisions, for example, if it's if it's communicating with with the public, it might present or say things based on the based on the, the data that it's trained off of that present a reputational risk to your company. And so just that training data by itself presents an enormous risk. And then from there, you know, you can talk about the way that the model is set up. You could take you could talk about the way that um, some of these models have been de-risked. So for example, just to give just to give one more absurd example, um, it, it turned out or it was reported, I think about six weeks ago by time, that ChatGPT 
was trained by uh, laborers in Kenya to de-risk it. So these were folks that were getting paid less than $2 a day to essentially report every time ChatGPT said something that was insensitive or said something sketchy or so forth. And so this is something that I I wouldn't even have thought of being a risk. And yet there there are so many possibilities that are out there. And so moving from that, again, the audit is super important just to get a comprehensive overview and then moving into the moving into the that's kind of what what sets up that that uh, the triaging process. Yeah. And and I'd add that it's so important because you have to move so fast. You know, in the example of a deep fake of a CEO, for instance, I mean, we know that misinformation moves faster online. There's this great example. Um, a, a few years ago, uh, someone in Canada drove a truck into a crowd. It was a domestic a terrorist attack. But one of the reporters uh, tweeted demographic information about uh, the, the driver mm, right. that was inaccurate. And so there was a research institute that went back and looked at the tweet. The, the tweet was later corrected, but it was shared, um, retweeted, liked way more the first one. And so we all know that it's a tinderbox. Companies already have their scenario planning. They're ready to go. But it creates a whole new level of urgency to know exactly what you're going to do, to have your frameworks prepared for a moment like this, um, because it will happen. And I mean, the, the the things that have happened so far, you know, are relatively harmless. I mean, there was a professor who ChatGPT said uh, did something that he didn't do, and that that is potential individual harm to this person, um, but still it's at the individual level. Like the, these things are going to continue to happen and they're going to increase in scale. And the possibilities for harm are obviously endless, and we don't necessarily know what's going to be potentially harmful today or tomorrow. And that's why the purpose of the white paper is to develop a framework and to just lay out the kind of questions you should be asking. So as part of the triage stage, we have four potential main risks we think that you could be looking out for. External interface risks. So if your organization is integrating AGI into your everyday work, you have to think about what does ChatGPT 7 look like if that's what you're going to be using in six weeks, because now it's impacting your work, the daily lives of your employees, your management, your bottom line, and your clients. Internal risk, like Andrea had said this before, but is there confusion about what your internal policies are on this issue? Um, if it's not incredibly explicit, even if it is incredibly explicit, people may be confused and misuse the tools. Oliver had laid this out as a potential scenario in the beginning, but persona risk. Is your CEO or other major players in your company, do there is there a potential liability for them um, where they could potentially be harmed using a deep fake or some other AGI opposition risk? Is there a constituency that could potentially be tar- trying to tarnish your reputation from the outside? So thinking again, what kinds of questions you all should be asking if, if AI is being used as a product, asking yourselves, have these products been vetted for issues such as bias like we were talking about before? Are clients and customers aware of the product's limitations? Do they know, yes, we're, we're entering all of these different kinds of data, but it's a crowdsourced data and, and everything that gets um, taken out of it as an output is not necessarily always accurate. If you're using AI as an interface, what data was used to train the models that communicate with customers? Are safety parameters in place? And if you're internally using AI tools, are employees and clients aware of the policy on the AI tools? So again, The harms are evolving every day. The risks are evolving. You cannot control them. But by laying out these kind of questions, by putting in the right communicators and and by by centering your stakeholders in these kind of conversations, it's a way to try to mitigate some of these risks, a lot of which you don't necessarily have control over. Yeah, it's a kind of 
age old advice of you can only control what you know about and what you've prepared for. So even back to that audit stage of Mm -hmm. actually understanding going through a scenario like this when asking these questions, because things will move fast. And if you're asking what is our AI policy after the crisis is hit, it's probably too late. Yeah. Um, final question. You three have become kind of experts on this topic over the last few months. We've talked a lot about how companies can't ignore it, but maybe d- don't necessarily have to jump into the deep end. Where do you guys fall in terms of how much should companies be embracing this or excited about what's coming next in AI? Well, I mean, I think I've I've let the cat out of the bag. I'm 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 pro. You're you excited. Got, you you got to lean in. I mean, we don't know what's going to come. Um, and but that's just the reality of life. So I agree with Andrea. I think you need to embrace it. I think, you know, for me personally, it's been uh, an excellent teacher of some super nitty gritty topics. Um, obviously, you need to double check your sources and make sure that uh, what it's saying is correct. But it can be extremely descriptive. Uh, it can go down in super deep detail about things that, um, you know, it are hard to access elsewhere. So I, uh, I love it. It's good. Blake, any final thoughts? Yes. I think that we've obviously been building the use case throughout this conversation and in our white paper, but there are two big case studies that I think we can take a look at. The first one being, I think that companies historically have not, particularly tech companies, have not necessarily been proactive in developing responsible frameworks um, for the kinds of technology that they're developing. So I don't think that companies can necessarily rely on the AI, AGI development companies to be super thoughtful or super proactive in the way that they're um, regulating themselves, self-regulating. I think we also saw last week or two weeks ago with Musk and a few others saying that we should put a halt on AI. The response, I think, from both sides of the aisle from the regulatory perspective was we can't fall behind China. We can't fall behind any other countries that are developing AI. So I think the government has in a lot of ways already made its decision that yes, at some point they will choose to regulate, but it will not be um, in a way that's going to hinder innovation at this point right now. So if you don't think that this is already a problem, it is. (laughs) And um, as Oliver kind of wrote in that first graph of this white paper, it's time to start thinking about it because the risks are here. Right. Right. And it's good to see some policymakers starting to think about it. It's probably a long road, as yes. we all know. It. That could policy. be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yes. yes, I think we'll we'll leave it here for today and, and cover that at a, at a later time. There's certainly a lot more to talk about on this issue. Um, but I think it was a great preview of the white paper, which listeners can find on our website in the coming days at pentagroup.co. Um, Thank you to all of our listeners for joining in for another episode of What's at Stake. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at PentaGRP. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. Look forward to talking to you again next week.